for tuning in to Victims to Victorious. My name is Angel Fall. Each and every week, we take a look at the public health initiatives around stopping gun violence. And this year, we have been broadcasting a lot about things that have occurred during the pandemic. And one of the things that is occurring now are protests. Protests for the brutality of the killing of a young man named George Floyd. So what what does that mean and why are we looking at it today? What I'm really interested in today is the number of people who die in police custody. So uh, how does that relate to violence? Well, Amnesty International actually takes a look at the number of people who die in police custody. So I am going to start with what is on everyone's mind. Everyone is uh, looking at their Twitter feeds and I'm going to go over what happened to George Floyd. So on May 25th, 2020, George Floyd, an African-American man, died in Powderhorn, a neighborhood south of downtown Minneapolis, Minnesota, in the United States. While Floyd was handcuffed and lying face down on a city street during an arrest, Derek Chauvin, I'm not sure if I can pronounce, I'm pronouncing his name right, I, I actually, my own, um, for my own filter, I try not to listen to all these horrible things that are happening in the world, but I do prepare myself to speak on certain ones. So Derek Chauvin, a European-American Minneapolis police officer, kept his knee on the right side of Floyd's neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds, according to the criminal complaint against Chauvin. Two minutes and 53 seconds of that time occurred after Floyd became unresponsive. Responsive. Officers Tao Thao, J. Alexander Kong, and Thomas K. Lane participated in Floyd's arrest, with Kong holding Floyd's back, Lane holding his legs, and Tao looking on as he stood nearby. Preliminary results from the official autopsy found no indication that Floyd died of strangulation or traumatic asphyxia, but the combined efforts of being restrained, underlying health conditions, including artery disease, coronary artery disease, and hypertensive heart disease, and potential intoxicants in his system likely contributed to his death. An independent autopsy commissioned by Floyd's family found that Floyd's homicide was caused by asphyxia due to neck and back compression that led to a lack, a lack of blood flow to the brain. And I have to say, to confess to the listeners, I actually, and the viewers, um, the podcast followers, I actually did not watch the tape. And um, I do know that some of these injuries in police custody that we're going to talk about are remain disputed and that we're actually not talking about a whole lot of people who get shot in police custody. The police, this is another article. It's called, on PBS.org News Hour. The police officer who was seen kneeling on the neck of George Floyd, the black man who died in custody on May 25th following the exchange with police, was charged with third-degree murder and manslaughter on May 29th. Derek Chauvin was fired following the incident along with three other officers. A bystander video captured Chauvin kneeling on Floyd's neck for several minutes despite his pleas that he could not breathe. And, of course, this, um, that reminds us of another uh, of another death in custody in New York City 
when the man kept saying, I cannot breathe. And we're going we're gonna to talk about him. We're going to review some of the other um, people who have died in police custody. So um, the account from Darnella Frazier, who filmed the video showing part of the police encounter, said she watched Floyd being suffocated, differs from that of police, who said Floyd was stopped because they matched the description of a suspect in a forgery case, um, resisted arrest, and then suffered medical distress. So that's, that was their initial cover story. The incident has prompted investigators from state and federal authorities an apology from the city's major and comparison to other uses of deadly force against black Americans, particularly the death of Eric Gardner. So that was the main one mentioned from, from New York City. I was actually living in Connecticut when that happened. It also has sparked thousands to pour into the streets of Minneapolis to protest, largely around the intersection where Floyd died. The gatherings were a rare sight amid the coronavirus pandemic which has kept most people in some form of isolation for weeks. Here's what we know so far. I'm still reading from PBS.org. And the, um, the producer, uh, Scotty Reed, who founded Black Talk Radio, he is going to post some of the articles for, uh, for you to take a look at. You can also direct, uh, direct message me on Twitter, on Air Angel. But I am on PBS.org NewsHour right now uh, reading this article that was published about George Floyd. So the, the death of George Floyd reminds many people of Eric Gardner. And, of course, that was in New York City. He was selling Lucy's. And he was also um, killed because of the chest compression. In a video she posted on Facebook, Frazier, now that is the one of the eyewitnesses. She said that she was on her way to see friends on May 25th when she saw Floyd outside of a grocery store on the south side of Minneapolis. Police had him pinned to the ground by his neck, she said. In her telling, Floyd's face was being pressed so hard against the ground by the officer that his nose was bleeding. She said she began recording the encounter and then Sheldon kneeled on Floyd's neck until he stopped moving and then later carried his motionless body away on a stretcher. She later posted a 10-minute video on Facebook. And let's just thank God for all these citizens who are out here because many, many, many years ago, especially during Jim Crow in particular, African-American men would disappear in custody, never to be seen again or to be seen again hanging from a tree. Floyd can be seen and heard voicing distress and saying repeatedly, Please, please, I can't breathe. Please, I can't move. A bystander's voice can be heard telling the police, you got him down, let him breathe. Minutes later, Floyd appears motionless on the ground. A bystander again addresses police, saying, bro, he's not even effing moving. They bleeded it out. Another voice is heard saying, get off his neck. One person asked, did you kill him? Floyd's eyes appear closed and his head lies on the ground. An ambulance arrives on and Floyd is loaded onto a stretcher and into the ambulance. The police killing him, bro, right in front of everybody, Frazier said on a video posted on Facebook. He was crying, telling them, like, I can't breathe and everything. They killed this man. This is a quote from Donella Frazier. This is what police have said. According to a Minneapolis Police Department statement released on May 26, two officers responded to report a forgery of a forgery in progress 
in a South Minneapolis neighborhood shortly after 8 p.m. The statement said that Floyd physically resisted officers with handcuffs and then appeared to be suffering medical distress. And I, I read that from the earlier article. So all of this, I'm just updating people and how we're going to connect this to today's show. Well, we're taking a look at some of the other cases where people have died in police custody. And in preparing for the show, I noticed that if you type in, uh, if you do the search for police custody, what you see are just a few, just a few people listed who become famous, and hopefully the society, especially the society where they are, has changed. The, what we really want to see is the way deadly force is used. We also want to see people get mental health services. Um, all of this um, right now is important because people are getting arrested, and in fact, two people have been killed during these protests that are supposed to be peaceful and honor George Floyd. So some some of the other famous people who have been um, who become famous after um, after this have become famous before this event. Sandra Bland, Bland, a woman, she was found, Sandra Bland was a woman who got arrested. If you remember that, she was arrested, I believe, on a DUI in Wallace, Texas. And they found her hanging in her Waller County jail cell due to an apparent suicide. Henry Peg Gilbert shot in police custody in 1947 in Harris County, Georgia. The sheriff claimed self-defense, but Gilbert, a prosperous found farmer, was found to have been severely beaten before being shot. Freddie Gray suffered injuries while being transported by police in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, I hope I said Eric Gardner for the New York incident. I might have been mixed up. Uh, Freddie Gray suffered injuries which, while being transported by police in Baltimore, Maryland that led to a coma and to his death. And remember, the cities erupted, especially Baltimore. Um, Baltimore had a, an African-American female may, uh, mayor at the time and a very, um, a very hard-working young female prosecutor. But the real justice, I don't believe, was served. Um, I'm going to review Freddie Gray's death just a little bit. The death of Freddie Gray on April 12, 2015, Freddie Carlos Gray a 25-year-old black man was arrested by Baltimore Police Department and subsequently charged for possessing a knife while being transported in a police van. Gray fell into a coma and was taken to the R. Adams Cowley Shock Center. Uh, Gray's death was described was ascribed to injuries in his spinal cord on April 21, 2015. Um, pending the investigation, they, they um, initially suspended six Baltimore policemen. And if you recall, what we did know, or what we were told, was that he was thrown in the in the back of the wagon. You're not supposed to say paddy wagon. It's actually a derogatory term for when they were uh, locking up a lot of Irish people in uh, Boston and New York City. So what we what we were told, what many people believed, was that when he was thrown into the back of the um, of the uh, van to go to a different level of custody that he was actually thrown in the back of the van and then uh, it was believed that the policeman driving the van drove in such a way that he was bounced around and that he was not secured um, those are all things that um, that we were told and of course the prosecutions have been very uneven 
with uh, with these police shootings, the societal awareness has grown. Um, so what I want to say is, I just said the societal awareness has grown, but what I really want to get at is eventually we want to see that the use of deadly force becomes a minimal action. We want to see the policemen de-escalate instead of increase the tension and increase the violence. And of course, we know that there, that there are policemen like that. All they want to do is confront people. They're angry. If you're a person of color, you have seen this. Um, they're disrespectful. They are um, extra paranoid about black people who aren't doing anything. African-American men across all stages of life and class have been harassed by the police. So one of the cities we've taken a look at during the, my entire tenure here on Black, the Black Talk Radio Network is Chicago, because Chicago has been hit with huge amounts of two types of epidemics, the epidemic of gun violence and the epidemic of of the coronavirus epidemic. So I want to see what is going on with Chicago and share that with you. So this article came out today. The Chicago Tribune uh, reports June 1st. Uh, the article came out an hour ago. Chicago police continue patrolling the loop and downtown Monday morning, restricting access to those who work or live there as the city recovers from a weekend of fallout after the death of George Floyd, who died at the hands of Minneapolis police. Of course, uh, if you live in the Midwest, you know, Minneapolis and Chicago are not that far apart. Uh, Minneapolis police, I'm reading from the Chicago Tribune. We are about uh, 15 minutes into Victims to Victorious. We're taking a look at what happens to some people, what has happened to some people who are in police custody. I'm also going to um, describe Amnesty International's viewpoint of some of the protesting and how the police are handling it. So right now in Chicago, uh, the police are continuing to patrol the loop in downtown Monday morning, which is today. On Monday, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot denied that the city prioritized protecting the loop over the neighborhoods on the south and west sides. And of course, those neighborhoods are notorious for crime and our topic of gun violence among, among African-American males. There is no way, the mayor says, that uh, we ever let any neighborhood receive more resources and protection than any others ever, Lightfoot said. That certainly didn't happen over the course of the weekend. Lightfoot said the criticism is offensive to her as a black woman and added, we did not stand by and let the South and West Side burn as some are propagating, propagating. 3.24 p.m., protesters chanting, I can't breathe, moved through downtown Naperville. A group of protesters chanting, I can't breathe, moved through downtown Naperville Monday afternoon in a rally to draw attention to the death of George Floyd and the issue of police racism and violence targeting black people. So this is, this is a topic that we revisit over and over again. Race determines so much in America. Some people will say, well, they don't see race. People are black, blue, green, yellow, polka dot. Well, there are no polka dot people. Um, if you have young children, they're, they've been vaccinated. Uh, they've been vaccinated, I'm sorry, against chicken pox. So we don't have polka dot people. Race matters. Read Cornell West. Race matters. So I'm going to read from that a little bit again. 
the issue of police racism and violence targeting black people. These two things collide, and then the person who's victimized in today's world, at least he or she gets some type of public address. They get the public moving and rolling. It would be awful nice to see, because I am advocating for the reduction of interpersonal violence between African-American men and each other, because most African-American men are actually killed by a friend, relative, or acquaintance. So what if, I'm posing this for those of you who are listening, what if there were protests against the gun violence in Chicago? What if something, a movement from that, caused gun laws to change? These are things I'm sending out there for you who want to be activists. You don't want to sit here and let these things happen. You want to create a new world. You're sitting at home during the coronavirus pandemic wondering how your life has changed without your permission and how your life could change with your permission. So this is a a minute-by-minute, it's written that way, of some of the things that are going on uh, Chicago times as They are one hour behind Eastern time. So a group of protesters chanting, I can't breathe, moved through downtown Naperville Monday morning. I read that. The event has been expected, and as precaution, extra police were present and business windows covered in wood against the potential for violence, which has racked Chicago, Aurora, several suburban towns and cities across the country. At 3.21 p.m. today, Police superintendents visit scenes of peaceful confrontation between police and protesters. Chicago Police Superintendent David Brown visited the scene where city sports had been looted earlier overnight and spoke with officers and other people at the scene, according to the police. Brown visited with officers and community members at 71st and Jeffrey in the Grand Crossing District, according to a tweet from police. These officers have been working tirelessly to ensure the safety of residents in the neighborhood during these protests. Earlier, both individuals and and reporters posted videos to social media of officers lining the sidewalk near the city sports with protesters questioning whether people were being detained in the basement of the store. It wasn't immediately clear what the resolution was, although later in the afternoon, the scene was peaceful. So let's keep these protests peaceful, but let's ask for things that we want. We want a reduction in in gun violence, and that includes the police. I understand that George Floyd and some of the other people I mentioned, they do die in custody and that they are not shot by the police. But we want the police to be accountable to the racism that they inflict on African Americans. And this is a circuitous loop. The police, the police, police, the African-American men who shoot each other more heavily, for instance. Some neighborhoods are more heavily policed than others. And the action of the police is different. People who live in large white suburbs in America believe the police to be their friends. You can hear them posting that on Twitter and on TV. And these are mostly older white people who haven't, don't have children, who have black friends, don't have black in-laws, etc., the police act very differently towards them. The police are the protectors of their neighborhoods. But I would argue that the police help help destroy our neighborhoods by targeting uh, black men 
for crimes and feeling as if they can treat them any kind of way. So I'm reading a little bit more from this article, and then we're going to go back and look at, um, I'm going to introduce a few more people into your memory, the recent past, who have succumbed to, um, have succumbed to some type of injuries in police custody. At 3.20 p.m., federal authorities in Chicago accused a Galesburg man of traveling to Chicago with homemade bombs, charging him with inciting a riot. An Illinois man arrested in Chicago over the weekend had homemade bombs in his car and has been seen on videos posting on the Internet participating in the looting and the rioting in both Minneapolis and Chicago, according to federal charges filed Monday. Matthew Rupert, 28, of Galesburg, was charged in U.S. District Court in Minnesota with inciting a riot and possession of an explosive device court records show. Rupert was arrested by Chicago police early Sunday for allegedly violating the mayor's emergency curfew order. Police found several homemade explosive devices in his car, according to a seven-page criminal complaint. Officers also found a hammer, a heavy-duty flashlight, and cash, the complaint alleged. Rupert will likely have to have an initial appearance at the Dirksen U.S. Courthouse on Tuesday when a judge could order his removal to Minnesota to face those charges. 3 p.m., Chicago marijuana dispensaries closed indefinitely. 2.48 p.m., CPS chief, Chicago CPS chief released a statement about death of George Floyd. Jesse uh, Janice Jackson, the CEO of Chicago Public School, has released an unusual personal statement reflecting on the death of George Floyd while in police custody. Jackson, who was named head of the district in 2017, said she was addressing the CPS families as the mother of a black boy who was worried for him and the millions of other black boys in our country. And I definitely share her worry. I definitely share her worry. I pray for my son every day. Her statement continues. I worry that when he leaves home, she's referring to her son, rides bikes with friends, he will come back to me as a headline a hashtag, a rallying cry, an Amadou, a Breonna, a George, an Ahmad, she continued. And uh, that is a very powerful statement. Of course, I was referring to Amadou Jallo there, and this is, um, this is an, Ahmad is the correct spelling of the man who died while jogging and hunted down by those two white I don't know what else to call them, those two white people with guns. My mother raised me never to bring up a problem with a solution, but today I can only share with you my hurt and sorrow for our community. Tomorrow and in the days and weeks to come, we will have to have some real and difficult conversations about the worth of a person, not only in death, but also in life. Her statement is very powerful. If you just tuned in, uh, we're about 25 minutes into Victims to Victorious. We're discussing deaths in police custody. And we're also discussing the racism that many people believe fuels their targeting black men, and in this case, uh, killing, killing someone who they claim looks like someone. That's always the claim. They look like someone. So I mentioned Amadou Jallo, uh, some of the listeners may not have remembered Amadou Jallo. Amadou Jallo was a 30, was a 23-year-old Ghanaian immigrant who was shot and killed by New York police 
Department plainclothes officers. And once again, they claimed he looked like somebody that they were that they were serving a warrant for. And Cariato Jallo often wonders, this is another article, um, 20 years after the NYPD killing of Amadou Jallo, his mom asked, what has changed? What has changed? Cariato Jallo often wonders what her son's Amadou's life would be like if he were still alive. What if he had gone inside his apartment just a few minutes before four NYPD officers drove down to the Bronx Wheeler Avenue shortly uh, after midnight on February 14, 1999? Or what if he had been anywhere else doing any other than simply standing in front of the multifamily brick building where the 23-year-old lived in Soundview? Maybe he would have married Bente, the woman he told his mother he was interested in at the time. Perhaps he would have become a teacher. I remember his excitement on the phone, Jallo said, uh, told the city recently, ahead of the 20th anniversary of her son's killing. He was so happy that day. He said, I'm ready. I'm going to go to college. And she's referring to their final conversation where um, he told her he had saved $9,000 for two tuition. It's been two decades since she got that call at her home in Con- Conakry, Guinea's capital. Guinea's capital, and that's in West Africa, informing her that a car full of police officers had fatally shot her son. Shy, smart, sensitive Amdu near his home. She later learned that the officers thought her son had a gun and it was actually his wallet. The encounter ended in a torrent of 41 bullets, shaking the city and galvanizing Jallo into a life of activism. I want this day to be historic for all victims of the world so that such a thing would not happen again. She told a Chicago audience during her, a part of a multi-city speaking tour um, earlier uh, last year. 20 years full of similar speeches and demonstrations later, she remains committed to to that mission. But she said her work has shown her just how little progress has been made to reform the police. And I'm not reading all the rest of it. You can send me a direct message and I can uh, send that one to you. If you want, if you're listening on the computer, you can follow that article by going to the city.nyc slash justice slash 2019. The article is called 20 Years After the NYPD Killing of Amadou Diallo. And the question that she asks is, is really important when she says, what has changed and how has policing changed? Now let's take a look at a couple more. I like to put names to the, to the faces so that we realize we're talking about real human beings. In her case, someone who did not get to go to college, who was wanting to go to college, Kariatu's um, describing her son, Amadou Jalo, killed by the New York City Police in 1999. Uh, another well-known case of someone, um, of someone succumbing or be, to injuries in police custody, Someone dying mysteriously in police custody. Another such person was Michael Tyree. And Michael Tyree um, was, a men- was a mentally ill inmate in California jail when he was beaten to death by three guards who were convicted in June 2017 of his death. Now, Michael Tyree, according to the Internet, Michael Tyree is white and male. So why is that important when we're talking about 
deaths in police custody because the police do kill other people other than black people. That's what I wanted to say. But what is what is probably present in the Michael Tyree case is that he was clearly mentally ill. He was on record as being mentally ill. So the African-American people who are killed by the police are usually, they usually have a story of simply being singled out. That's all, singled out. So I want to take a look. So he's someone who died in police custody and he is a white person. And I want to give some statistics of people who are shot by the police every year. So how many people are shot by the police every year? That's a good question that we're going to answer. Um, and if you just tuned in, you're listening to Victims to Victorious. And we're discussing deaths in police custody. And we're looking, we're taking a step back from people that uh, were in custody and how many people um, are shot every year and who's shot more than others. According to the Washington Post, there were 494 people shot and killed by the police in the U.S. There were 258 black people shot and killed by the police. There were 172 Latino or Latinx people, other 38, and unknown 28. So unknown in this case because they're counting by race means they're just not able to determine the person's race for some reason or it could be a statistical artifact. Um, it could be a statistical artifact where you just, the, the reporting is absent by the time, uh, by the, time the um, report is made. So that was another famous person. I'm going to name a couple of them. Uh, Ricardo Alfonso Serna committed suicide in the police interview room. The um, Freddie Gray we mentioned and Sandra Bland, Darren Rainey was scalded to death in a shower at Dade Correctional Institute in 2012. So those are some of the people, the names and faces, and the policing here is being criticized. When you are in custody, you should be safe from yourself and you should be safe from the people who are supposed to be enforcing the law. We mentioned Amadou Jallo as well. Um, he was killed 21 years ago in New York City, and he died because of 41 gunshots. Now, a more uh, before we go to uh, Amnesty International's um, take on how the police are policing when they're being protested against for policing, let's uh, remind the listeners and viewers about Ahmed Arbery, because some of those names might sound the same on the radio, Amadou Jallo from Guinea, and um, Ahmed Arbery was killed in, in Georgia. And I'm just going to review that for the podcast listeners. If you just tuned in, we are about 30 minutes into Victims to Victorious, and we're discussing uh, deaths in police custody. So... Ahmed Arbery killing is being investigated as a federal hate crime, the family attorney says. Lee Merritt, an attorney for the family of Ahmed Arbery, told CNN on Monday that the U.S. Department of Justice is investigating the shooting death as a hate crime. 
Merritt said he learned about the development after meeting with the United States Attorney General for the Southern District of Georgia, Bobby Christine, on Thursday. A spokesman for Christine's office declined to comment. Our office does not discuss active investigations, including addressing whether those investigations are or are not taking place. Arbery was black, was jogging outside Brunswick, Georgia, on February 23rd, when Gregory Michael and his son, who are white, chased after him, authorities said. Arbery and Travis and, and Travis McMichael struggled over the latter shotgun, shotgun, and Arbery was shot three times. Gregory Michael told police Arbery attacked his son, a police report said. The killing sparked outrage across the nation after a disturbing video of the shooting emerged online. Jogging while black became the latest example of the many perils visited on African American men, on African Americans men in particular, is my comment. Arby's family said he was jogging through the neighborhood. Video shows him stopping by a house under construction, a home near the McMichaels, according to Glen County Police report. George McMichael later told officers that he thought Arby looked like a person whom they suspected in a series of recent break-ins in the area. And once again, I want you as listeners hear that theme. It's a white man just suspecting. And it turns into a white man killing or harming. Just suspecting, okay? Now, Amnesty International has issued a statement on Sunday morning calling for an end to militarized policing in several U.S. cities and the use of excessive force against demonstrators protesting police brutality. And I promised at the top of the show that we're going to discuss the police are policing the people who are protesting how the police are policing. Why does it matter? The human rights group said police across the country were failing their obligations under international law to respect and facilitate the right peaceful protest, exacerbating a tense situation, endangering the lives of protesters. And I've mentioned several times uh, that one of the things we want to know about when there's a conflict, we want to know about how can the conflict be de-escalated? How can the comment be de- how can the um, situation be de-escalated. And I'm going to read the definition of de-escalate. Reduce the intensity of a conflict or potentially violent situation. Equipping officers, I'm returning to the Amnesty International statement, equipping officers in a manner more appropriate for a battlefield may put them in the mindset that confrontation and conflict are inevitable. It does set up the police as the eternal indigenous enemy of black and brown people. And so that's what the sentiment is. And we can prove that. Um, we can prove that in many ways. The big picture, the National Guard mobilized and curfews were imposed in several states after clashes between police and demonstrators protecting and protesting the May 25th death of George Floyd and other black people who died in police custody. Some officers responded to protests with restraint, with restraint. Others used batons, tear gas, rubber bullets, and other devices to disperse protesters, and in some case, journalists. Authorities fired tear gas again Saturday during clashes with protesters in Minneapolis where demonstrations entered a fifth day. And of course, Minneapolis is where George Floyd was killed. In New York City, 
video showed police officers driving their cars into a group of protesters. Mayor, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio said, if those protesters had just gotten out of the way, we would not be talking about this situation. Again, this is Amnesty International, who also watched, they also have watchdog, uh, watchdog committees and sister organizations who look at um, the state of prisons around the world and um, how people are treated and deaths in prisons as well. In Florida, there were reports of police using tear gas and pepper spray amid violence in cities, including Miami and Tampa Bay. Las Vegas police deployed tear gas after protesters vandalized patrol cars, looting, looted a store, and set off fireworks, NBC notes. In Columbus, police used tear gas to disperse crowds. The local mayor said officers showed, a great, showed great restraint after protesters taunted them and threw objects. In Seattle, tear gas was also deployed. The police said in a statement, protesters had thrown bottles at officers. The one thing about this article I'm reading from Amnesty International that I got off the web is that it's full of hot links, and the hot links will take you to the actual um, the actual uh, link, the actual video or the article that they um, that they have uh, posted and linked from. In Seattle, tear gas was deployed. The police said in a statement, protesters had thrown bottles at officers. In Denver, police used tear gas to successfully force protesters back just after the 8 p.m. curfew imposed in response to the unrest came into effect, the Denver Channel reports. So we have about um, a little less than uh, 20 minutes to go, and we're discussing, we're discussing people who died in police custody and the impact it has had on policing because of the protest. The protesters are seen as uh, as the enemy by the police. And of course, this would not have started had not the white police officers seen George Floyd as an enemy combatant. Unharmed people, many of whom are people of color, protest police brutality and are met with police brutality. That's the irony that I'm, I'm trying to, to fluff out here. Flash grenades, tear gas, and rubber bullets, he told Box. But when our many white protesters storm the Michigan State Capitol, the police just let them be. And we saw that in many Midwest places during the tightest part of the lockdown because of coronavirus, armed white men stormed the Michigan State Capitol and the white policemen don't have the same overreaction. You can see that on video as well. Amnesty International, I'm going to read the last page. President Trump praised police for their conduct and slammed protesters, some of whom, is he, of whom he described as thugs. What we are now seeing on the streets of our cities has nothing to do with justice, Trump said Saturday. Terrence Monahan, New York City police chief, tweeted, we're, we'll always welcome protesters who want to peacefully express their views. When violent individuals throw bottles, rocks, and cause injuries to our officers, we will make arrests. Fraternal Order Police National President Patrick Yo said in a statement last Thursday in response to Floyd's death, we know what happens in communities when police officers lose the respect and trust of the public they protect. I would argue that many communities of color do not have respect for the police and do not believe the police are protecting them. Communities with large immigrant uh, populations who still may have undocumented family members, they sure as hell don't touch touch. 
trust the police. The countries that they fled from, they didn't trust the police. So what, what I'm explaining here is what is out here, what is occurring, but I'm also hoping, like Amdujalo's mother, that 20 years later, there should be changes in how the police police. And we're not seeing the monumental changes every time someone dies in custody, custody regardless of color, every time someone is shot, because my issue also is with the deadly force. And if time allows, I'm going to name countries where the police don't even carry guns. So the last part of the Amnesty International article is, especially after a tragedy like we saw in Minneapolis, we need to do two things. He continued, take a hard look at our own actions and conduct, correct them when necessary, and to regain the trust by continuing to hold ourselves to the highest possible standard in a transparent way. So there are places in the world where the police do not carry guns. And we're going to take a look first at the place, of course, America, where we are here. Um, how many people they have shot because they carry guns. So this article is called Mapping the Police, Mapping Police Violence. Again, I'm Angel Fall. You're listening to Victims to Victorious. And today we're taking a look at the police, how they police, how violent the police are when they are policing the people who don't want the violence. So in according to mappingpoliceviolence.org, that's the website, mappingpoliceviolence.org, uh, this is the actual count of where these shootings occur. There is a map because there is a trend. A little bit earlier in the show, I actually read the breakdown by ethnicity and race. So there, are only, there were only 27 days in 2019 where the police did not kill someone. Black people are most likely to be killed by police. Now, the chart I read said that there were no, more white numbers. But when you're looking at rates and proportions, you have to understand that to understand the data. Black people are most likely to be killed by police. Black people are three times more likely to be killed by police than white people. I want some silence there. Black people are most likely to be killed by the police three times as likely. Where you live matters. Of the 100 largest city police departments, of the 100 largest city police departments that kill black men at higher rates, these are higher rates than the U.S. murder rate, according to this website. So the cities that have the highest ratio of white policemen to black male victims that they themselves shoot, claiming to be lawful, Reno, Oklahoma City, Santa Ana, Anaheim, St. Louis City, Scottsdale, Halea, I think that's in California, Madison, Las Vegas, Spokane, Riverside, Albuquerque, Kansas City, and Phoenix. It's not about crime. Levels of violent crime in the U.S. do not determine rates of police violence. There is no excuse for police violence. And um, so they're giving a statistic. Buffalo, New York had zero police shootings at the time this data was gathered. That was 2013 to 2016. Orlando, Florida had 13. There is no accountability. 90% of killings by police from 2013 to 2019 
have not resulted in officers being charged with a crime. So there are proven solutions, and this is what we're looking for on Victim 2 Victorious. We're looking for solutions to reduce the morbidity and mortality rates in these target populations that we are discussing. So police departments that have adopted these use of force policies kill significantly fewer people, but few departments have adopted them. So here are some of the recommendations. Requiring officers to use all other means before shooting. Require all use of force to be reported. Ban chokeholds and strangleholds. Have use of a force continuum. Require de-escalation. I defined it for you. Duty to intervene if another officer uses force. Restrict shooting at moving vehicles. And we've all seen those dramatic movies where they, that occurs. And it actually does occur in real life. Many jurisdictions allow the police to shoot at a moving car. Requires warning before shooting. Those are things that they believe can help. And there's a list of unarmed victims uh, who have been shot and killed by the police on the site. If you are interested in changing things in your area, you need to ask for a citizen's review committee, write your senator, your congressman, tweet about it, the um, de-escalation methods and changing how the police police will reduce the police uh, the police shootings in America. So some of the places, um, the first chart I read was eight of the 100 largest city police departments kill black men at higher rates than the U.S. murder rate. I gave that list. And then the map shows you that the police shootings are highly concentrated on the east coast of the United States. They're parts of America, uh, when, the, when the data was taken, uh, where it's a, very, it's a very rare occurrence. One of them is in Alaska, and one of them is in Hawaii. So police shootings are actually much more rare there. So if you just tuned in, we have... Um, we have about 10 minutes to go on Victims to Victorious. We have been reviewing um, police, how the police are policing, especially in this time of protest. Many people are out protesting the in-custody uh, death of George Floyd, who was, whose neck was stepped on for at least eight minutes. It was filmed. I have not watched it. It's too upsetting for me to watch. But I'm asking listeners of my podcast, to become proactive. Every time we address, um, every time we address a um, a health situation, a public health concern, a shooting, a killing, there are ways that these these incidents could have been pre uh, prevented. So I'm going to talk about countries now where the police do not carry, uh, where most police officers do not carry firearms, and this is something that I don't think America could ever get to, but it is, it is a truth for many people living in other parts of the world. So some of the places where the police do not carry, um, one of the places where the police don't carry guns, is, is they used to not carry them at all, but one place um, where they have not carried them traditionally is the United Kingdom. And, of course, that is the other name for Britain. 
That's um, many. If you watch TV, you see those. Um, uh, if you watch even that old Slick Rick video where he has that Billy Club, um, uh, the idea that you have to um, kill someone for many policemen is an idea that they don't want. They they take the job knowing from interviewing them. I I know they take the job knowing that they may have to, but most of them hope that they do not, okay? So um, here's an article about why most United Kingdom police don't carry guns. There are other countries where that uh, doesn't occur as well. Now, I'm picking the United Kingdom because they've had this long tradition of it, but it's let, let the article speak for itself. Well, in the UK, and this is Euro News, this is a major shift thinking. Currently, just 4.9% of the, um, the country's police officers carry guns. 4.9% carry guns. And so that is unusual in the United States of America because the officers, um, we expect the officers to have them. We've never lived without them having them. So what type of guns do most police um use in the United States? That's a question. We often talk about make and model guns because that also impacts the morbidity and the mortality of people who are victimized. So the, these are the most popular guns used by law enforcement. Uh, when I was a child uh, growing up in Cleveland, Ohio, the police also had a shotgun strapped across in the front of the car, some kind of way the shotgun was strapped across the car. So law enforcement guns that are very popular, Glock 19, it's an Austrian handgun manufacturer that prides itself on quality. In 1988, they in introduced the Glock 19 to the market. Uh, law enforcement officers also carry a Glock 22. The Glock 22 is the next fire arm in line after the Glock 19 and looks quite similar at first glance. Um, the only aesthetic differences are the Glock 22 is a couple inches longer and a few ounces heavier than the Glock 19. Uh, there's a Smith & Wesson M&P9. Smith & Wesson, of course, is an old gun manufacturer. They started in 1852. Um, they make one of the police issues that's a Smith & Wesson M&P9. Beretta Model 92. Beretta's claim to fame is that it's the oldest active gun manufacturer in the world. This Italian company has been producing fine, well, I'm not going to say all that. It's been choosing firearms dating back to the 16th century. The Beretta, the Beretta Model 92 hit the market in 1975. Um, and this makes it one of the most durable guns on the market. Some officers were complaining that the gun was too bulky. So Beretta came out with the 92 SB in 1981. Another popular weapon of, for police, police choice, Sig Sauer P226. The original Sig company dates back to Switzerland in the 1850s. They got their start by producing muskets for the Swiss Army. I'll read a couple more, but I want you as a listener, when I talk about how long these gun manufacturers have been making these guns, guns, this is one of the problems 
with the culture. We're used to this type of violence and weaponry. So it's going to take a cultural change, a paradigm shift. The article that I was reading about most police don't carry gun, guns in the UK, that their culture is changing. More and more have, of them have become, are carrying weapons. And of course, the, um, the idea here of listening to this is so that you can be informed and advocate for what we're discussing. Should, you know, should the police really have to use weapons? There's so many other ways to, de to, to use guns. The weapon of the, the, I'm sorry, the rifle, the shotgun, the handgun, those should be the last, the absolute last resort. But we can see from the murder of George Floyd that this man is killed because the police feel like it. But we looked at over 1,000 people are shot by the police every day, and there were only 27 days in 2019 where a police officer in the United States did not shoot someone and kill them. Ruger LC9 is an American company that's been specializing in revolvers, pistols, and rifles since 1949. Um, so that's one of the weapons the police carry, Ruger LC9. Colt M1911, and I wanted to see if there would be a, a long gun here, and there is Remington 870 shotgun. Uh, shotgun Remington Arms was founded in 1816. So there are several other countries besides Great Britain um, where police don't carry, where police don't carry guns routinely. One of them is Norway. So these are examples. I mean, is our society so violent? It's a securitist loop. If the police can't use deadly force, then isn't the society less violent? Um, then the police would argue there are too many people who are armed, and therefore they need to be armed. So most police in the UK don't carry guns. That's most. In um, northern uh, Norway, the entire police force is unarmed. So here's a quick list in the few minutes that we have of the unarmed police forces by country. If you just caught the end of it, uh, please listen again because we're discussing how the police are policing because the police have policed too much in black and brown neighborhoods. The irony of the police coming out for the peaceful protest with guns and tear gas, I'm using um, a lot of violence and not de-escalating conflicts according to Amnesty International. So here's a quick list before we go, uh, run out of time. Australia, Austria, Denmark, Finland, France, Germany, Iceland, Ireland, Jamaica, Japan, Netherlands, New Zealand, Norway, South Africa, Sweden, United Kingdom, which includes England and Wales and Northern Ireland. Um, those are some of the unarmed police forces. And so when there are unarmed police forces, um, for instance, the Australian police forces are monitored by the Australian Institute of Criminology. So when you look at the number of people who are killed by the police, there are tiny numbers from the year 2000 to 2017 uh, no more than seven people have ever been killed in Australia. So um, 
they do, again, the police forces, um, they differ in gun policy. It doesn't mean that there can't be a shooting, but it means that most of the time the policemen are not carrying weapons. Since 1965, all Danish police officers have carried a police pistol when performing their duties. So they started doing that later. And, of course, the British people are um, looking at that. So the case of, um, in Denmark, the police use of weapons is recorded by the police department, and the police department classifies tear gas as a use of a, of, of a firearm. In 2006, the death of four people by police shootings prompted an investigation into the use of firearms. So there are many police forces that do not, that do not use um, weapons in the way that we do in the United States. The police are expected to carry weapons, and of course, this is part of the trouble. So I'm really grateful for you having listened to me today. This is Victims to Victorious. My name is Angel Fall. Follow me on Twitter, and uh, also click onto the Black Talk Radio Network. You can listen to my show and many others that are archived and produced by... Um, the founder of the Black Talk Radio Network, and that is Scotty Reed. All right, so we just finished listening to uh, me, Angel Fall, discuss how some police forces are unarmed or how not all officers carry guns. If you have a comment, leave me a comment on the archive version of Victims to Victoria.